Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. And I think that this is the kind of conversation that we have to have about it because we can all rattle numbers off at each other all day, every day. But I keep returning to that question, what kind of society do we do we want this to be? And for me, one in which this many people die at the hands of other human beings for absolutely no reason is unacceptable. And I am willing to cede a tiny bit. And I think it's the tiniest bit of freedom. If I have to wait 10 days to buy a gun instead of three, yes. Yes. I will cede that freedom if it makes anybody even marginally safer. This is Sarah. This is Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. We're back. Well, at least Beth is back. I'm sort of back. I'm recording today's episode, but we'll be on vacation the rest of the week. But we are back after our amendment series. We'll be sharing another episode of that on Friday. Today, we're going to try to catch up on some of the news from last week and, of course, discuss the heartbreaking outbreak of mass shootings over the weekend. 
Before we dive into that, thank you to everyone who's gotten your tickets for the Nuance Nation tour in California. If you are elsewhere and waiting, you haven't missed anything. Tickets will go on sale for our other cities very soon. Right now, the only tickets you can buy are in California, and people are getting those quick. So if you'd still like to make it and haven't gotten your tickets yet, we'll put a link in the show notes and hope that you get on it. So lots and lots happened while you were on vacation, Beth. We had the debates. We had, as we will discuss in the main segment of the show, as related to the shootings in El Paso and Dayton, some more racist language from the president, this time directed at Elijah Cummings District in Maryland. But we did have the second set of Democratic debates, and you broke away from your vacation to catch those, right? Sadly, yes, I did. (laughs) Yeah, you said it really did. It really it was. Was it just a downer? Did it just feel like work? What happened? I was really surprised at how much it changed my mood to watch the debates. I felt bad. First of all, we were with another family and I sort of took over the living room to watch these things. They were forever long. No one needs a three hour anything. And I just felt kind of all this ambient anxiety come in. I found these debates to be. A little more inspiring than the first ones, but not by much. There was a lot of conflict. Twitter was cruel and depressing. And it just kind of made me realize, oh, normal people don't like to do this. And Mm. I do it all the time. And just having a couple of days when I didn't read the news and didn't spend any time on social media, it was really jarring to come back into these. And I was so relieved when the second one was over, knowing that I was going to step away from it again. So I was in California for my brother's funeral. And the first night I watched the debates on the TV with many family members around me of very differing political perspectives. It led to a lot of stress, a lot of conflict, and a small amount of yelling. So it was a truly terrible experience. I didn't even get to really watch it all because we were too busy arguing. So the second night, I like shoved myself in a corner and wore headphones so that I could watch it and not be subjected to everybody's emotional reactions to the things the candidates were saying. I will say there were a few family members who I kind of were surprised at like who they were interested in and who they were really connecting with, which is always sort of interesting when you're in a mixed group, it's sort of the, your like own personal focus group of what's connecting and what's not, mm-hmm. which is always fascinating. But I did feel like it was such a even, and I'm not even talking about like the conflict if you're a conservative and you're watching some of the things being said, is that CNN was, was, formulating so much of the debate as a conflict between the candidates. They did so much. Well, what did you say about this? And how does this person feel about that? Like so much just reacting. Please respond to the fact that this person said you were stupid and your plan wouldn't work, which is just the worst. But what's so depressing to me is, you know, I'm in this room with a mixed company. Everybody's like, why do they do this? Nobody wants to hear them fight. And then I look on Axios this morning and they're talking about how those debates did better than the first ones. So I feel like, you know, we say we don't like this kind of conflict, but it does seem to drive ratings. I have real issues with pretty much everyone's approach to healthcare on that stage. I still cannot imagine wanting the federal government to play a larger role in healthcare. I just can't imagine that. But I also understand that I'm watching the Democratic debate and that's where the party is. And I don't think I'm going to hear something in two and a half minute, four minute segments 
that really illuminates for me where these folks are. So I thought that was a weird decision that CNN made. Well, we did have that exciting moment, though, when Kamala, also known as Senator Harris, talked about uncoupling employment and health insurance, which has always been the compromise you and I come to when we talk about what would make the biggest impact but doesn't end up with the government being involved with health insurance. I mean, I was so excited when she said that. I'm like, yeah, let's lean into that, you guys. Let's talk more about that. Because it was interesting while we were on Instagram that night, I asked, is there anybody who really likes their health insurance? And there were a lot of people, kind of surprising number, who responded. Can I say, though, take a moment and give a giant hug to our community? Because so many people messaged me and said, I like my insurance, but I understand there's a problem and I want everybody to have insurance which I thought was so encouraging. Not that I ever lack moments to be encouraged for the future of humanity while listening to our community. But when she said that, I was like, oh, now that's something we should talk more about. Let's talk more about that. But they moved on pretty fast. Well, they wanted to frame that entire segment as beating up on her plan because Mm -hmm. her plan is complicated. And it does sound like, I believe her when she says, I'm going around the country listening to people. And yes, it is shaping my policies. Isn't that what this should be? I don't need them to come out of the gate knowing exactly what they want to do. It's not their job anyway. They're not, you know, the president is not a legislator. So I like where she is on this compared to lots of other of her positions. I think she's in a wiser spot on health insurance than many of the candidates. And I thought it was so weird and obnoxious that Jake Tapper wanted everyone to pile onto her. I thought she got knocked back a little bit on her heels at the way everybody came for her because she had done so good in the first debate. They definitely went after Joe Biden, who... I didn't think do, did any better or had any real moments to reassure people that he's ready for this sort of change in environment. He was still doing the same thing, which was answering questions like it was still 2012. And I thought Cory Booker did a particularly good job of saying, you can't have it both ways. You don't get to cite Obama and then say, oh, I didn't agree with him on this or whatever. I mean, I thought, I thought Cory Booker actually did really, really well. But I don't know if anybody, I don't think this was a a game changer for anybody in any real way. A question that's been lingering for me is whether healthcare should be the Democrats' priority in this election. You know, I don't think it can be the entire center point of every debate, of every discussion. I was disappointed climate change wasn't a bigger part of this debate. And I think that, like I said, as the, as the, news drives the debates, we're definitely going to see a bigger conversation about gun control and a bigger conversation about white nationalism and terrorism. We still have a kabillion debates left, so it's not like any single debate is going to be completely transformative. So the kabillion debates left has become a subject of lots of conversation. The DNC is ready to get this field winnowed. I think we will all be better served by smaller groups on the stage. It could be that we just have one night of debates. I don't know how to feel about that winnowing when it seems like the current debates and the current format haven't really given us the opportunity for anyone to break through. And I do think there are people who are not gaining a lot of traction. Julian Castro comes to mind for me. I think his presence really serves the conversation. Mm -hmm. And he is not qualified for the next debate yet. And I think it would be a shame not to have his voice in that debate. So I don't know that the DNC rules, and The Daily did an excellent podcast about this last week. 
I don't know that they're working out the way they were intended to work out. I think it's hard. It seems like it's a dramatic winnowing. If we go from 20 to 7, that's a big jump, right? I mean, I think you guys might have said I'm a little too hard. If we could go, you know, medium range and we cut down to 12, 13, that seems more realistic to me than to cut over half of everybody from one debate to the next. But nobody asked me. I didn't get an email about it from Tom Perez. The Daily made the point that some of these candidates are having to spend $70 to get a $1 donation from a new donor so that they can start Mm -hmm. meeting these unique donor thresholds, which has the impact overall of nationalizing the campaign. This reporter said to Michael Barbaro, I've never had a campaign when we're not talking about ethanol every day, but nobody's talking about ethanol because Iowa isn't the ballgame right now. The ballgame is these national fundraisers, these constant Instagram videos. Help me. We're so many donors away. And it's kind of gross. And it feels like all the things we complained about that helped President Trump win the election in terms of soundbite, reality TV produced, nationalized, don't spend a bunch of time in any state, not doing any retail politics, They are kind of taking over this primary because of the way that these rules are structured. I think that's true now, but I think the closer we get at the end of the day, if you finish last in the Iowa caucus, I don't care how many donors you have across the country. Right. I mean, I think that you can still see they're pouring a massive amount of resources into Iowa and New Hampshire because that is going to be a moment. You can't get on the debate stage. I don't care if there's three people up there. That's momentum that's hard to replicate at a national level with national media anyway. I think it becomes national momentum because they're so important. So I still think they're, I mean, you still see them doing a lot of retail politics in Iowa and New Hampshire, and I'm still hoping that that will play out. But listen, I'm not not sad about having not hear about ethanol. I'm not going to lie to you. It'll be interesting. I mean, it's an experiment, I guess, to see what happens between now and Iowa, because there are a lot of debates between now and Iowa. And if you can't get on the stage for the debate, it's hard to imagine that you end up doing well in the Iowa caucus, no matter how much time you spent there, you know, because it seems like your money's going to dry up. It's all pretty circular. And I guess it's just we have to learn from a cycle how to deal with this many candidates. I sincerely hope this is not the new normal for presidential campaigns. Lord. We're a couple cycles in a row now of, you know, more than 10 jumping in. And I do want to hear from everybody. I'm in this real bind because I do want to hear from everyone. And I recognize that the quality of the conversation is just not there with this many people on stage. Well, and I I do think there's important things happening beyond just the campaigns and the candidates with regards to national conversations. Like Andrew Yang is doing the Lord's work. He's going to take universal basic income ahead in the national conversation, like 10 years in a few short months. Because you and I have been talking about universal basic income for at least a year or two. And, you know, nobody knows what you're talking about. People act like you're crazy. And I think that he, by doing what he's doing, talking about it, getting people to this sort of basic understanding of what it means and how it could work. I mean, he was really pushing that issue forward and quickly. So before we move on, let's do a really quick pulse check. Who is floating to the top tier for you and these candidates? And did anything change after the second debate? No, I mean, I'm still very much in Elizabeth Warren's camp. 
I'm still very excited when she talks to hear her policy proposals. I'm not, you know, 100% committed yet because I still think that Senator Booker, Senator Harris, Senator Gillibrand could be really exciting, really great candidates if they got some momentum. So I'm still watching them and I still think that they're fantastic. Any one of those four would be fantastic candidates and could beat Donald Trump. I continue to think that Senator Harris would be the best person on a debate stage against the president, especially as she gets more experience under her belt here. I think it's probably a good thing for her to get beat up a little bit. Her closing statement about the predator was so good. I think her presence as a contrast to Donald Trump's presence would be really effective. If I had to vote like today, I would be pretty torn between Booker and Buttigieg. Mm. I think that the more I listen to how people approach questions of character, accountability, Mm -hmm. here's what I did wrong, here's what I'm still working on, here's where we've made progress, but listen, it's not enough. Yeah. I just see in both of them the kind of integrity that I'm looking for in a president. And that is the most important thing to me because we're not hiring a legislator, you know? Right, and, right, 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 right. And as I think about the two of them and how they might respond to crises and how they might try to get members of Congress working with one another, how may, how they might steward the executive branch, which desperately needs it, I think that they are at the top of my list. We're ready to move on and compliment the other side, except for considering the recent news about Beth's change of registration. While I still believe firmly she represents another side than I do because she is much more conservative in her approach to governing than I am, we're just going to make it compliments now. We're just going to be complimenting people from either side of the aisle, from all parts of the country, and from all industries who are out there doing good work. Beth, who are you complimenting this week? Well, I actually feeling the freedom of not being boxed in here. I'm going to go outside the United States even. I'm really excited about something happening in Canada. Doctors have partnered with the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts to prescribe going to an art museum to patients to treat a variety of health issues from cardiac arrhythmia to Alzheimer's to depression. And what happens is if you get a prescription for art therapy, you get two free tickets to go to the art museum. And they're finding that has really good results. People like it. And I just think this is beautiful and smart and innovative. And I hope that a lot more of our healthcare starts to move in this direction, not in terms of denying medication to people who need it at all, but in thinking bigger about what doctors can do and about how healthcare intersects with the rest of our lives. I want to compliment two California college professors, Ronald Rail and Virginia Sanfratello. They installed powerful architectural, kind of honestly like an art installation, along the U.S.-Mexico border wall. They built a teeter-totter wall in the slatted border fence that separates the city of Juarez, Mexico. And basically, it allows children and adults from both sides to teeter-totter together across the border, which I think is such a lovely idea. It's a really beautiful visual. The teeter-totters are like bright fluorescent pink. And you see kids and adults teeter-tottering back and forth through the slats of the border wall. I think it's a 
beautiful way to connect people. I love that it is play equipment. And so good job to these two professors. I think it was just sort of theoretical and then they got to actually do it in real life. And I just love it. I love that too. Next up, we are going to talk about what has happened in Dayton and El Paso and Gilroy and the ongoing conversation in the United States about guns. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college, y'all. He's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash pantsuit. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful, Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day. Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion, in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. As everyone has heard by now, the United States was rocked by two back-to-back mass shootings over the weekend. The first in El Paso, 
where the shooter posted an anti-Hispanic racist screed on 8chan and then went to a local Walmart and killed 20 people. Less than 24 hours later in Dayton, Ohio, a 24-year-old man wearing a mask and body armor went to a bar with his sister and another person. He departed from the group and started shooting. He killed his sister and eight or nine other people were seeing conflicting reports about that during the attack. And this all happened after a garlic festival was victimized in Gilroy, California. A 19-year-old killed three people there, including a six-year-old boy and a 13-year-old girl. The shooting in El Paso is the eighth deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history. If you look at the list and how many of our recent mass shootings have come in the last five years, the seeming increase in these mass shootings, as illustrated by the fact that we've had two in 24 hours, seems to have opened up a new conversation, shocked people enough that we're talking about gun control measures in the national media again. In particular, we're talking about the fact that there absolutely is an increase in white nationalism as a motivation for these attacks. The attack in El Paso is being investigated as an act of domestic terrorism. And there's real conversations about the president's responsibility with regards to his rhetoric, to his race baiting, to his fear mongering, and how much the way he has shifted the tenor of conversation in this country is to blame for this increase in violence. Now, he spoke this morning right before we recorded as well. These sinister ideologies must be defeated. Hate has no place in America. Hatred warps the mind, ravages the heart, and devours the soul. We have asked the FBI to identify all further resources they need to investigate and disrupt hate crimes and domestic terrorism, whatever they need. We must recognize that the Internet has provided a dangerous avenue to radicalize disturbed minds and perform demented acts. We must shine light on the dark recesses of the Internet and stop mass murders before they start. The Internet, likewise, is used for human trafficking, illegal drug distribution, and so many other heinous crimes. The perils of the Internet and social media cannot be ignored, and they will not be ignored. In the two decades since Columbine, our nation has watched with rising horror and dread as one mass shooting has followed another over and over again, decade after decade. We cannot allow ourselves to feel powerless. We can and will stop this evil contagion. In that task, we must honor the sacred memory of those we have lost by acting as one people. Open wounds cannot heal if we are divided. We must seek real bipartisan 
solutions. We have to do that in a bipartisan manner that will truly make America safer and better for all. First, we must do a better job of identifying and acting on early warning signs. I am directing the Department of Justice to work in partnership with local, state, and federal agencies, as well as social media companies to develop tools that can detect mass shooters before they strike. As an example, the monster in the Parkland High School in Florida had many red flags against him, and yet nobody took decisive action. Nobody did anything. Why not? Second, we must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. It is too easy today for troubled youth to surround themselves with a culture that celebrates violence. We must stop or substantially reduce this, and it has to begin immediately. Cultural change is hard. But each of us can choose to build a culture that celebrates the inherent worth and dignity of every human life. That's what we have to do. Third, we must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who may commit acts of violence and make sure those people not only get treatment, but when necessary, involuntary confinement. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. In his comments this morning, which were delivered after a very different set of comments on Twitter, which I understand Mm -hmm. he tweeted over the objection of some people on his team. But his televised comments, he talked about how America needs to be unified, how we need to act swiftly. And then as he got into what that might look like, it got very strange. On the positive end of the spectrum, he spoke out in favor of red flag laws, saying that when we know someone has the propensity to do violence, we should make sure that that person's access to firearms is limited. But then he started talking about mental illness, and he used words like wicked and evil and monster and contagion, He said mental illness and hatred pull the trigger, not the gun. And he spoke about involuntary commitment for people with mental illness. He spoke in ways that I found really disturbing about mental health and ways that are not likely to prompt more people Mm -hmm. to seek treatment and help, which is, I think, what we need here. It's not that anyone's saying mental health doesn't play a role in these shootings. I think certainly undiagnosed, untreated issues that people suffer from absolutely play into the capacity to do violence. The way he spoke about it was disturbing. He also talked about instructing the DOJ to seek the death penalty in cases like the one out of El Paso and to do it swiftly without years and years of delay in the courts. And I think that's using this issue to advance an agenda that I think is, frankly, un-American and at odds with everything we know about how our justice system actually works. So it was a, it was kind of a disturbing press conference for me. I'm, I do not mean this to make light of it at all. I tweeted that it felt a little bit like something out of a Margaret Atwood mm-hmm. novel. He talked about how we have to curb the violence in video games. And to hear that from the president of the United States in a country that is 
so forward in our commitment to free speech and expression, there was just a lot of authoritarian undertones. You're afraid right now, and so we need to take more control. That's a lot of what I heard in the president's comments. As someone who's been thinking about gun violence since I was in high school and watching the ways that people talk about and place blame, the shooter at my high school absolutely has and continues to have mental illness. But mentally ill people are more likely to be victims of violence than perpetrators of it. And the interchange of the words like evil with mental illness tells me you don't understand what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And we most certainly have a contagion, but it's white nationalism, not mental illness. Do you think that every Nazi was mentally ill? Do you think every person that's ever participated in tribal violence is mentally ill? Do you think any person that's committed an act of violence in the name of hate, every person who participated in a lynching in the 1960s was mentally ill? I don't. I don't think that. I think there's something else going on. You know, the the New York Times had this wonderful article where they talked about the international research on gun violence in America. And it has to be international because, friendly reminder, there's prohibitions against research and data gathering with regards to gun deaths in our own country. Why we would want less information, I don't know. Oh, I do know, actually. And this international research looks at things like mental illness. It looks at things like violent cultures. It even looks like at things like criminal acts. We don't have more of that proportionally than any other country. One of my favorite quotes in the article says, a New Yorker is just as likely to be robbed as a Londoner, but the New Yorker is 54 times more likely to be killed in the process. We don't have more mental illness. We don't have more criminals. We don't have a more violent culture. What we have more of is guns. We're swimming in them. We have too many guns. And at this point, looking at the violence, at the death, at the fear we all feel just moving about our everyday lives, universal background checks, things that used to seem like reaches, should be something, the most basic legislation, the first step, something we're not even considering anymore. Yes, we're going to do that. We're going to do it now. The big reach, the big problem that we need to face as a nation is that we have too many guns. And how are we going to get some of them back? Not just prevent new ones. We have to take some of them back. We have to buy back. We have to reclaim. That's what we have to do. There are too many guns. Everything becomes more lethal when we are swimming in guns the way we are, be it domestic violence, be it suicide be it crimes like robberies, or be it political moments exploited by our leaders like the current surge in white nationalism. When we have as many guns as we do, every problem we face becomes more dangerous. And I don't know about you, but I don't feel very free right now when I have to check the exits every time I take my children somewhere. And so if... Rethinking 
our current laws, if rethinking the Second Amendment is what we have to do, then we have to do it. Because I'm tired of sacrificing everything on the altar of, I should be able to own as many and whatever guns I want. It's ridiculous. I recognize that there's a tension between what I said about the president's press conference, that sort of you're scared and so we need to tighten things up, we need to take more control, and advancing an argument that we need to take more control of guns. You know, I understand that if you're a person who is a diehard Second Amendment supporter, your response to everything we've just said is, this is the same thing, you're scared and so you want to take freedom away from me. I don't think that's really what we're talking about, though, at least not what the House of Representatives is talking about. They've already passed two bills this year focused on background checks. It's They're not trying to take guns away. They're not doing the buybacks that Sarah's talking about. They're just trying to make it a little harder to own a weapon for people who should not own a weapon. And so I want to tell you about those two bills because we really haven't had occasion to talk about them here, knowing that Mitch McConnell will not bring them to the Senate floor. H.R. 8 is the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2019, which would just require a gun transfer between two unlicensed people to have background check requirements. It passed 240 to 190 in February in the House. The House also passed H.R. 1112, the Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2019, in a 228 to 198 vote. Three Republicans actually supported this measure. Seven Democrats did not. It lengthened the initial review period for a background check from three to 10 days. And after 10 days, gun buyers could request an escalated review to spur the FBI to complete its investigation if the background check isn't completed. If it remains incomplete after that period, the purchase can be completed. So these aren't you can't buy any guns kinds of laws. They are let's slow this process down and think about it for a second. And I have no heartburn with that whatsoever. Nope. Because you see across developed countries and across different American states and towns and cities, when you put this gun control legislation in place, it reduces gun murders. It just does. I don't know. That's why I'm saying like, I don't, I don't want to do, I'm done debating this. I'm done debating universal background checks. We know it reduces deaths. And it is not a restriction on your freedom. I'm sorry. The idea that the Constitution assures as many guns as you want and whatever kind of guns you want is absurd. And that is an extreme position. And I'm done pretending that that position is just the basic protection of the Second Amendment. That is an extreme position. The idea that the Second Amendment assures you whatever and as many guns as you want is an extreme ideology, and we all have to recognize that. We can keep the Second Amendment and the right to bear arms as a part of our United States Constitution without saying that it assures you the right to own as many and whatever guns you want. I'm done pretending like that's just basic gun rights. It's not. It's an extreme ideology, and it is costing people their lives. And so I'm done. And that's the trouble. We're having different debates because we're not saying anything new here. 
The data on this has been the same for years. It's clear what the variable is between the United States and other nations. Everybody has violent video games. Everybody has mental health issues. America has more guns, and thus we have more mass shootings. That's it. It's It's clear. The conversation isn't really about what's going to be effective. It's it is an emotional conversation. It's a conversation where I think a lot of people feel and people I respect and care about very much feel that it is a fact of life that there are going to be folks out there doing harm. And so the rest of us need to be able to protect ourselves. And I don't have any problem with that. To me, it's a matter of degrees. Everything I've read out of Dayton says that Dayton's law enforcement did an exceptional job here. They saved so many lives in how quickly they acted. So many lives. Because he took so many lives in like seconds. Mere, it was like not even a minute. In 60 seconds, nine people died when law enforcement was right there doing their very best work. And so for me, I cannot make the leap that ordinary citizens who do not have all that law enforcement training need to be walking around armed to protect ourselves with uh, with no restrictions on that. If you want to have a gun to protect yourself and your family, Godspeed. It doesn't bother me. But the idea that that means we can't restrict anything does bother me because I look at what's unfolding in front of us and I cannot make the connection to the idea that we are safer with more people being armed when law enforcement in 60 seconds doing such good work, we still saw nine, maybe 10 people die. I can't I can't make that connection. And it shows me that we're just talking about some really different things here. I don't think we have commonality in the terms of this debate. And I think the debate is so hardened and we have for so long just been viewing each other across this Second Amendment canyon as enemies that we're not even able to coalesce around, hey, what if what if you can buy your gun? It just takes a little longer so that we are really confident that there aren't reasons we should be questioning it. And I get that it's a slippery slope. Listen, I worry about federal power all the time. It's part of why I'm opposed to Medicare for all. And yet, I do think that if law enforcement can look at your Facebook page and see where you have threatened acts of violence to people, we need to slow this train down and get in front of a judge and figure out whether you're entitled to own this this tool of death or not. A few weeks ago, my family and I were at a local grocery store. And I was sitting in a in my minivan waiting for my husband to run in and get something. And I watched this man shuffle, truly shuffle. I don't think that he was moving his feet more than 10 inches in front of him at a time. He was walking very slowly. He was, he seemed like he was struggling for breath. He was incredibly overweight. And I was watching him struggle. And I was feeling sorry for him. And then I looked closer and he had a gun stuck in his waistband, not six feet from me and my minivan and my children. And I thought, what exactly do you think you're going to do with that? You can't even walk without assistance. And so tell me. Who you're protecting 
and more importantly, who you're putting at risk when you're walking around a supermarket with a loaded gun stuck in your waistband. I was so mad. I'm still mad. And I'm so angry that for decades, we've let the people who hold the extreme position, because it, listen, it took this podcast, it took me having a very different approach to conversations about this issue, to listen to the other side for the first time in a long time. And I'm glad I did, because that's when I understood what that side wants is the right to own as many and whatever gun they want. They think the Second Amendment assures them an arsenal. That is an extreme position. But that's what people think. And for decades, the people who just wanted universal background checks got painted as the ideologues, the ones who hate our Constitution. It's bullshit. It's bullshit. That's the extreme position. Most Americans think that guns are dangerous and there should be rules and regulations about owning them because that's not an extreme position. That is truly common sense. And the idea that the Second Amendment, written when you had to, like, fill a little metal ball full of gunpowder in order to fire anything, assures you the right to own an arsenal is insane. And I'm done ceding that territory. I'm done saying, oh, if you talk about gun control at at whatever, you're the extreme person who hates the Constitution. I don't think so. The extreme position that the vast majority of Americans do not support is the idea that you should be able to own military-grade weapons and should be able to build up thousands of them if they're in your home if you want to. And that you should be able to walk around with an AK-47 slung over your shoulder in a Walmart and the Constitution assures you that right. No, that's extreme. And when we have an environment like that, everything else, including the extreme rhetoric of white nationalism and all the way down to individual struggles with suicide become more deadly. It's not an accident that four out of the top 10 mass shootings take place in Texas, not because there's something wrong with Texas or Texans, but they have very loose gun laws. That's not to say that states with strict gun laws never have violence and never have mass shootings. Of course, we know that's not true. The idea that, oh, mental illness pulls the trigger, give me a break. Give me a break. And the fact that we're still in 2019 honestly citing video games is so ludicrous to me. And I think it took the shock of these events to really see that guns make everything more dangerous and that The way the president speaks isn't just talk. Racism and nationalism isn't just talk that white people protected by their whiteness can roll their eyes at. It costs people their lives when people in leadership talk like that. Because we have an environment that's more lethal overall because we're swimming in guns and because that type of talk is dangerous. If you're a person or you know people who just roll their eyes and say, I hate how he acts on Twitter, understand it's not that simple. You can't just roll your eyes at him anymore. It's dangerous. That type of hatred, that type of racism, that type of race baiting and fear mongering is dangerous, especially in our current environment with so many guns in our country. 
Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online, and we were discussing the fact that I am 43, and she said, I cannot believe how young you look, and I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to 3rd Love, you can have both. 3rd Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think that what this conversation illustrates for me is that there are some things about this that are really complicated and some things that are not. Exactly. So I think it's not really complicated to acknowledge that background checks are important, even if that would not mm-hmm. have prevented any of these shootings. 
it would make a statement that we're trying. The same way we ask people to wear seatbelts in a car, it would make a statement that we are trying, and I think that's important. It does get complicated. So the illustration that you talked about at the grocery store, I want to be careful that we don't become ageist or ableist, you know, that, that we prevent people who have physical disabilities from owning weapons. I don't think that's right or fair. I want to be careful in how we talk about mental health issues because I'm concerned that what will happen in practicality if we take really quick action on these laws is that people who are actually getting treated are the folks who get punished by them instead of the people who are out there undiagnosed, right? We don't have a good enough mental health system to support this well. There are details here that matter and are very, very hard. And there are issues about this that are not hard. I think the president's language matters a lot here. I agree that video games are too violent. I don't want the government to do anything about that. I want parents and consumers to do something about that. But I don't want to hear about that from a person who, from the Oval Office, the person who's supposed to set the tone for this country, the way that he talks about other human beings. I don't want to hear it from him. And that's bad. We need to hear it from him. We need to hear it from the person in that position. But he cannot speak on it because this afternoon, I am certain that he will say something online that contradicts everything that he read from a teleprompter this morning. And it matters and it's wrong, even when it is not directly tied. I have no idea. And I don't think anybody knows yet why the person in Dayton shot those folks. I have no idea. I I think there's a very clear connection to white nationalism in El Paso, an undeniable one. I don't know in Dayton, and I don't want to pretend to know. And as you look at that list that you mentioned, Sarah, of the worst mass shootings, there are some that are truly random. The Las Mm -hmm. Vegas shooting, we still have no idea why that happened. And so I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush, but I, I am very comfortable sitting here saying that the way the president talks about other human beings as though they are less than, the way this administration treats human beings, this return to talking about the death penalty for people, this return to detaining all of these people at the border in inhumane conditions, I think all of that matters tremendously. And I know that the response to a lot of what you have just said so articulately from a place of such clarity, which I respect very much, will be, well, she's emotional and we shouldn't make emotional decisions. Even as you're talking about the data, there are people who will say this is an emotional reaction. But I just am frustrated because I think the reaction is similarly emotional among gun owners. And we need to acknowledge that. And I think that is okay. Neil deGrasse Tyson got flamed on Twitter because he posted this tweet about the statistics of how many people we lose in 24 hours to various things. I don't know if you saw it, Sarah. He talked about how many people die from medical error, how many people die from just a whole variety of things. And he was trying to say mass shootings get our attention because they are a spectacle. And I thought so much about that. And here's what I want to say to him and everybody else making that argument. Just when I strip everything away, I am going to die. It is certain. My children are going to die. My husband is every single person I love is going to die. It is certain. It is also certain that I don't get to choose how any of us die or the order in which we die, which makes grief a certainty in my life too. It is not that I cannot accept the risk of death and the grief that accompanies the death of people I love. Those things will happen. They are a part of life. What is not a certainty 
is that my fellow human beings and I choose to do violence to each other. Medical error is an error. Even when it's negligent, it is not intended. Car accidents are terrifying. Believe me, I've lived through a fatal car accident, but it is an accident. No one intended it. We are not in the natural order of things meant to do violence to one another all the time, especially now, especially in 2019 in a country like America where there is enough of things. We are not fighting for food and water and Mm -hmm. shelter here. We are not primitive people trying to survive every day. We are choosing these acts of violence, and I do not accept that. And you can call that emotional, but I think that's an important emotion to hang on to. And I want to hang on to it. I don't ever want to be a person who thinks that the quality of a death in a mass shooting is the same as the quality of a death in a medical error in terms of how it affects all of humanity and what we're doing here as a country. Of course, those lives mattered equally. I I would grieve the death of the victims in both cases. But in terms of how that affects the body of humans here trying to do this thing together It is so distinct. And I think that this is the kind of conversation that we have to have about it because we can all rattle numbers off at each other all day, every day. But I keep returning to that question, what kind of society do we we want this to be? And for me, one in which this many people die at the hands of other human beings for absolutely no reason is unacceptable. And I am willing to cede a tiny bit, and I think it's the tiniest bit of freedom. If I have to wait 10 days to buy a gun instead of three, yes, yes, I will cede that freedom if it makes anybody even marginally safer. Nothing riles me up quicker than one side implying that they are not emotional about things. We all are reacting out of emotion. Now, you might dress it up and think you're the logical one in this situation, but we're all responding out of emotion. That's what motivates us. We're emotional creatures. And thank goodness. Thank goodness. I'm done pretending like all emotion is bad. Now, should we react instantaneously about emotion at every second? Of course not. But the idea that your argument is invalid because you're upset about something really, really bothers me. While I was having these conversations with my family, and a lot of them revolved around immigration, I just realized what a powerful motivator fear is. And if we are all operating out of fear and scarcity, it leads to such dark places. If you're operating out of fear and scarcity because you think that there's an invasion of migrants and refugees, it can lead to really, really dark places. And I will also see that if you are operating out of a place where you're afraid to go to a grocery store because you're so terrified of violence, that can also lead to really dark places and the sacrifices of liberty. That's why we all come to the table and balance each other out. That's right. That's why we're all here. That's why we're all having this conversation. Not because one side is all right and one side is all wrong, but when Mitch McConnell refuses to have any debate about it at all, 
when we can't even come to the table to see what compromises we can draft because we're not talking. I mean, he, there's nothing happening at the Senate. He stopped everything. He stopped everything. They're not legislating at all. And the Senate is the one place that something like this really could, you could have these voices. You could have this group of people come together and influencing each other and say, well, I'm afraid of this and I'm afraid of this. And so where's the compromise? But we haven't done anything on gun control. Don't cite bump stocks to me. Give me a freaking break. It's getting worse. The rhetoric is getting worse. We all know it's getting worse. We're all afraid of different things. Okay, then let's let's sit down, listen to each other's fears, and see what we can come up with. Because the one thing I refuse to accept is that this is the best we can do. Don't you dare tell me we're the greatest nation on earth and refuse to even try. I'm supposed to look at my child. He's afraid to go to school and say, mm, we're the greatest nation on, the, on earth. The best we can do is children terrified to go to school because they're going to get shot because they've had to live through 16 active shooter trainings. Surely we can all agree on that, that we can do better, that we can try. And I don't care how much you hate the government and you think any government interference is all and the government's not to be trusted. Shutting it down and not doing anything is no longer an option. We can work through the distrust. Believe me, we can. This is a body that understands the value of symbolic resolutions. They pass them, right? And so let's say Mitch McConnell succumbed to public pressure, brought everybody back from recess today, right now, to vote on these House bills. That doesn't bring anybody back from Gilroy or El Paso or Dayton or Las Vegas or Parkland or anywhere else. But it matters. Yep. It matters a lot in setting a tone in this country that everyone is tired of this. If the past couple of years have taught me anything, it is that symbolism matters a lot. It is that the tone coming out of Washington, D.C. matters more than I ever thought possible. And so advance these bills. Like, that, the Senate just needs to pass these background check bills. They need to make a statement that this matters and we care about it and we're trying and we're going to do better. But his strategy has been forever, don't put anybody in a position to take a stand. The way I protect my Republican senators is to not put anything in front of them. They don't have to take a stand. They don't have to make a hard vote. They don't have to work through compromise. We won't do anything, and then you can't be mad at them. And so we have to demand better. We have to say, we see what you're doing, and it's no longer acceptable. Mm -hmm. You are taking a stand. You might not be voting, but you are taking a stand. And we have to hold them responsible. We have to hold them responsible, especially Kentucky. Sarah, what is on your mind outside of politics? Well, I'm just ready for summer to get the hell out. That's really the long and short of it. I took a moment while traveling for my brother's funeral to look back over the last two months since school has been out and acknowledge that it has not been a good summer. 
And I had a conversation with my husband about this and he was like, I don't think you should do that. We've had really good days. And that is true. We have made some happy memories, but I find myself always orienting towards the future and like moving on the next thing and getting prepared. And sometimes it's really important for me and my personality to look back and say, hey, you know what? It's been really hard. (laughs) The last two months have been really hard and I'm ready to move on. I'm ready for school to start and say goodbye to summer. And between my brother's death, traveling for Rachel's funeral, several stressful, just logistical things, saying goodbye to my grandmother's lake house. It's just, it feels like it's been one thing after the other. And it's just been so stressful. And I think there is something really positive and healing in a way to say, man, this has been hard and I'm ready to move on. It's starting to sound like an episode of The Nuanced Life because that's definitely what we try to commemorate over there. But I need to commemorate that this summer has really sucked and I'm ready to move on. (laughs) Well, I know you've had a lot this summer and I'm glad that we're getting close to it moving on. When do your kids start school? On Monday. So a week from now. Exciting. Jane goes back on Wednesday, so we're getting ready for that, too. What about you? What are you thinking about outside politics? We just got back from vacation. We had a lovely time. I really did not enjoy the month of June. July has July was fun. We crammed a lot of summer into July. We did a bunch of outdoor concerts and kayaking, our annual trip to the beach. Lots of fun. What I think I have gotten from all of that is a much clearer picture of what I want my life to be like, and specifically around my business life. I have a bunch of ideas for Pantsuit Politics when you get back. I have a bunch of ideas for my coaching practice and what I want to do there. And I feel like vacation just lends a lot of clarity to like, if I could design every day, what do I want that day to feel like? And when I think about what my contributions are, what do I want those to be? And when I think about the kind of people I want to surround myself with, what does that look like? And I just had some really good thinking time on vacation. I listened to things that I wanted to listen to. I did not immerse myself in the news. And it just kind of brought me to a more peaceful and clear, resolute place. I also finished Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Have you read that, Sarah? I have. What did you think of it? I loved it. I thought it was great. If you haven't read it, it's a therapist memoir about being a therapist and about her own time in therapy. I have a bunch of questions for my therapist after reading it, like a million things (laughs) I want to ask him. But it was fun to read about all of her clients going through therapy and kind of why they were there and what happened in their lives. And I think all of that just contributed to me feeling like, oh, I've I've learned some things here and I've recognized kind of what I want my life to be like in the next iteration. And I'm excited about it. Yeah, I've learned a lot in that book. I mean, as a person who loves therapy, talks about therapy, thinks a lot about therapy, I still have never been trained as a therapist. So I learned a lot about why people come to therapy, good ways to really get the most out of therapy, just different behavioral crutches we all use. I felt like I heard a great story and like loved the memoir aspect of it, but also felt like I just learned a lot. Yeah, it probably is going to make me a little self-conscious for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Just learning about like what's on the therapist side of the room. So depending on where you are in your journey with therapy, you might consider the timing of reading this book. But but I enjoyed it and I enjoyed just being away and getting to think a little bit differently and use my brain differently. And it was good. And I'm happy to be back here. 
and we are going to share another amendment episode with you all. I'm so excited that everybody seemed to appreciate the the conversations about the First and Second Amendment. And so we'll be talking more about the Bill of Rights here on Friday. And then we have one more of those to share with you in a couple weeks as well. So join us here again on Friday. Sarah, enjoy your vacation. I hope it makes up for the rest of summer as best it can. I hope so, too. We hope you all are having a great end of summer and getting ready to go back to school. Shout out to all the teachers who are working hard Mm -hmm. to get ready for that and kind of getting emotionally and logistically prepared. We see you and appreciate everything that you do. Keep a nuance still. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff, Tim Miller, David McWilliams, Joshua Allen, Linda Rucker, Martha Bernatsky, Melanie Cravey, and Tiffany Hassler. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.